From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. You're listening to The Steve Malsberg Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks, welcome aboard. It's four minutes past the hour of 9 p.m. here on Tuesday night. Uh, on the east coast of the United States. And you know what day and time it is wherever you're listening to or watching the Steve Malsberg Show on TNT. Um, Good news to report at the beginning of the show, in case you haven't heard. Uh, Claudine Gay. Claudine Gay. You have to remember Claudine Gay. Ms. Gay, uh, until earlier today, was the president of Harvard University. And uh, she, along with the president of UPenn, um, Liz McGill, and the uh, president of MIT, they testified before Congress uh, a little over a month ago about the anti-Semitism on their campuses, and each one of them made a bigger fool of themselves than the one before. And Ms. McGill resigned shortly after the testimony, left her position, although I believe she remained at the university, as will Ms. Gay remain at the university uh, as a professor. Uh, But it went beyond just the testimony, which you'll hear some of in a few minutes here. We'll refresh your memory. And Elise Stefanik, of course, uh, the Republican from New York who questioned uh, the three stooges. it, it went beyond just the testimony. It went into plagiarism and there were all kinds of accusations. And it started out with her um, her uh, doctoral uh, dissertation from 1997 that they said uh, she plagiarized from other people. And then it swelled to about 50 different examples, reportedly, of plagiarism. Um, how could how could that be? How could you be a how could you be a president of a university and be and, and speak the way you spoke at that hearing? Number one and 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 first and foremost, but number two, how could you plagiarize and be accused of plagiarism and 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 not deny it and say I absolutely did not? And here's why, yeah, and still be the president of of a university, let alone Harvard. And the answer is, I believe the letters are D-E-I, diversity, equity, and inclusion. She was the first black female president of Harvard ever. A historic figure, as Karine Jean-Pierre might call her, because she calls herself a historic figure for being the first black lesbian White House press spokesperson. So how do you tell a historic figure, bye-bye, Well, they did, or they forced her to say bye-bye. But again, she's staying. She's staying at Harvard. Got to stay at Harvard. You got to have a professor who's accused of plagiarism teaching students, and if they were accused of what she's been accused of and it panned out, they'd be gone. She's still there. Ah, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing. Now, Al Sharpton. And <laughs> pardon me for for chuckling and giggling, but you know when the media uh, uh, quotes um, Al Sharpton, great civil rights leader, I remember the old Al Sharpton. 
okay? I remember the old Al Sharpton. I got the sound bites, the videos, the whole thing, you know, calling Greeks homos and, 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 and you know, and other things. And, and please, don't get me started. Uh, Freddie's Fashion Mart, he was never implicated. He was never held accountable. There are some who believe that, you know, his, his uh, rhetoric led to that. It was a, a white-owned store in Harlem. It was burned down. I think eight people died in that fire. But beyond that, it's just Al Sharpton, to me, is not a civil rights leader. He's quite the opposite to a civil rights leader. But he was nice to my kid once. We were at, uh, I was going on MSNBC. He was up there waiting to go on. And he said to my son, uh, your dad's a great man. You know, but that doesn't change the fact that he's Al Sharpton. So let me tell you what Al Sharpton said about, about this. He called that, the, he said that this is an attack that this is an attack, mind you. The fact that she had to resign, that she quit, uh, it's a vic- she's a victim of racism. Put it that way. She's a victim of racism. He um, said that um, uh, it's an assault on the health, strength, and future of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And he also said that um, as far as she goes, that um, this was a result of... Um, this is an attack on every black woman in this country who's put a crack in the glass ceiling. <laughs> this is the best you could do as the president of Harvard. Maybe this is the best you could do as the president of Harvard if you want to check boxes, because that seems to be how this country operates these days, checking boxes. But I'm glad she's gone. We got one more to go. Let's see if the uh, the the uh, if MIT does the right thing and follow suit with the other two. But I want you to hear, I want you to hear a little bit of the re- the reaction here. And this is kind of bizarre. This is CNN's uh, Matt Egan. He's analyzing the resignation, and you really can't make this up. Listen how he addresses and what he calls the plagiarism that she's accused of. Here is uh, cut number J18. It was the fact that the university's response to October 7th uh, was criticized as not condemning Hamas forcefully enough. The Harvard Corporation actually criticized Claudine Gay's uh, initial response. And, and then you throw on top of that the, the testimony, right? That was, it was more than four hours of testimony before lawmakers, but it really just came down to a precious uh, few minutes where Claudine Gay and the leaders of the University of Pennsylvania and MIT, they struggled to answer a question that a lot of people thought would be a simple one to answer, is calling for the genocide of Jews against the school's code of conduct, and they all, uh, they all fumbled that response. And then you layer on top of that these plagiarism allegations uh, where Claudine Gay has had to issue corrections, um, multiple corrections. Now, we should note that um, Claudine Gay has not been accused of stealing anyone's ideas in any of her writings. Uh, She's been accused of sort of more like uh, copying uh, other people's writings without attribution. So it's been more sloppy attribution than stealing anyone's ideas. (laughs) Oh, So plagiarism is not stealing anyone's ideas. It's being sloppy without giving proper attribution for stealing other people's ideas. I mean, excuse me? Excuse me. 
What's the difference between lifting what someone else wrote? Isn't that, you, you, you won't categorize that as an idea? I don't care what you call it. She took it and made it her own. And when she got caught, if he's right, she's been making changes. So she didn't give proper attribution when she took other people's work. But she didn't steal anybody's ideas. Are you out of your mind? This is, this is, this is CNN. This is the media, folks. This is what we're up against. She didn't steal anybody's ideas. She just stole people's uh, work, allegedly, uh, without giving them credit or telling anybody that it was other people's ideas and work. But she, she, didn't, she didn't steal anybody's ideas. Huh? Really? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So you got the plagiarism, accusations, um, and correcting those uh the, those attributions that she neglected to give. And then, of course, you have the testimony, which will live in infamy. And again, it wasn't just her. It was the president of UPenn and MIT. UPenn president's gone, McGill. Let's see what happens with MIT. But I want you to, I want to refresh your memory a little bit. And let's go back to that congressional hearing. Elise Stefanik, uh, the Republican Congresswoman from the great state of New York, was uh, doing the questioning. And here is cut number J19. Dr. Gay, a Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Our commitment to it's free speech. It's a yes or no question. Is that corrected? Is that okay for students to call for the mass murder of african-americans at harvard is that protected free speech our commitment to free speech it's a yes or no question let me ask you this you are president of harvard so i assume you're familiar with the term intifada correct i've heard that term yes and you understand that the use of the term intifada in the context of the Israeli-Arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel, including violence against civilians and the genocide of Jews. Are you aware of that? That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. Oh, oh. Now, the question is, was that her idea or did she lift that from somebody else? I just made that up, folks. I know it's hard to believe. Okay. And by the way, by the way, and this is another issue, but on the streets of New York City, you have people in cars and vans driving around New York City, holding up signs, you know, standing up in the, if there's a sunroof, moonroof, or standing in the back of the van or they head out the window shouting, long live the Intifada in New York City. Someone, uh, where did I read? Someone wrote, was it on Twitter or X or wherever it was or in an article? Where's the National Guard? You have people supporting, openly calling for the murder of Jews, civilian Jews, through the streets of New York, and it's not even a news story. I saw the videos. I could show them to you, but not tonight. So, you know, so that must be very, very, very abhorrent to Ms. Gay, right? Maybe she could use some of the free time she might have to fight against that uh, abhorrent 
occurrence that's taking place on the streets of New York City. Unbelievable. Could you imagine people in white hoods saying that about blacks with some slogan? Could you imagine that? Or trans people? No. Wouldn't fly. They'd be arrested. The DOJ, the FBI. But this, eh, intifada, intishmada. Nobody cares. Wow. All right, let's continue with, uh, with this pathetic display, which eventually led, in part, to today's resignation of the president of Harvard. Here is cut number J20. And there have been multiple marches at Harvard with students chanting, quote, there is only one solution, Intifada revolution, and, quote, globalize the Intifada. Is that correct? I've heard that thoughtless, reckless, and hateful language on our campus, yes. So based upon your testimony, you understand that this call for Intifada is to commit genocide against the Jewish people in Israel and globally, correct? I will say again, that type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. Do you believe that type of hateful speech is contrary to Harvard's code of conduct, or is it allowed at Harvard? It is at odds with the values of Harvard. Can you but not say here that it is also, against the code of conduct at Harvard? We embrace a commitment to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, offensive, hateful. It's when that speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies against bullying, <laughs> harassment, Does that speech and not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? So it's abhorrent. Yes, she, she admits that it calls for the genocide of Jews and everything, but it's free speech, baby, until they start mowing Jews down on campus at Harvard. It's protected, says the former, now former president of Harvard. Again, put another ethnic group in there. Put another ethnic group in there. Put people chanting against blacks, like death to blacks. Lynch, I'm not saying this, I'm giving this as an example for those around the world who take tapes and edit them. Lynch them. Right? What if that, oh, she would say, oh, that's, it's abhorrent. But until it turns into action, they're allowed, bull crap, we all know it. Trans, I don't even know what the chant would be for trans. But to promote hate and harm and death? To trans people on campus, that would be okay until it until it translates into action. <laughs> How dumb do you think we are, Miss uh, Miss D E I, former president? Here is cut number. Oh, now I forgot what I'm up to. I think I'm up to twenty one. When you testify that you understand that is the def definition of intifada. Is that speech, speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression and give a wide berth to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, 
You and I both know that's not the case. You were aware that Harvard ranked dead last when it came to free speech. Are you not aware of that report? As I observed earlier, I reject that characterization. It's the data shows it's true. And isn't it true that Harvard previously rescinded multiple offers of admissions for applicants and accepted freshmen for sharing offensive memes, uh, racist statements, sometimes as young as 16 years old? Did Harvard not rescind those offers of admission? That long predates my time as president. Okay, so Harvard, if you're, if you're applying to Harvard and two, three years ago when you were 16, you tweeted out a meme that is deemed to be racist, you're not getting in. But if you could get in, if you could get in, you could then get on campus and join chants and rallies for death to Jews, and it's okay. Excuse me? I, I'm, I, what am I losing in the translation here? And we all know what we're losing in the translation here. It's sick, it's twisted, it's insane. And it doesn't, by the way, this doesn't go away with her. It's not like, oh, Harvard's better now. Oh, UPenn's better now. No, no, like I just said, the whole world's crazy. This country is what I'm concerned about right now. And, and they're doing the same thing they're doing on Harvard, at Harvard, and around the college campuses, but they're doing it through the streets of New York. And it's okay. Okay, let's go to uh, 22. What action has been taken against students who are harassing and calling for the genocide of Jews on Harvard's campus? I can assure you, we have robust what actions have been taken. I'm not asking actions underway. I, I'm asking what actions have been taken against given, those students. Given students' rights to privacy and our obligations under FERPA, I will not say more about any specific cases other than to reiterate that processes are ongoing. Do you know what the number one hate crime in America is? I know that over the last couple of months, there has been an alarming rise of anti-Semitism, which I understand is the critical topic that we are here to discuss. That's correct. It is anti-Jewish hate crimes. And Harvard ranks the lowest when it comes to protecting Jewish students. This is why I've called for your resignation. And your testimony today, not being able to answer with moral clarity, speaks volumes. Elise Stefanik, ladies and gentlemen, right here on TNT. Let's hear it for Elise Stefanik. Wow. Wow. And of course, Saturday Night Live, as we played for you on this show, then took it upon themselves to mock not the three presidents, not Ms. Gay and the other two. No, they mocked Elise Stefanik. And one actress, comedian, who was given that role to be Elise Stefanik, uh, at the last minute backed out because she felt uncomfortable about it. But don't worry, there's always someone waiting in line, always somebody waiting in line. Now, uh, I want you a couple more on this, and then we have a great guest for you to talk about a topic that, wow, AI, as I mentioned yesterday, we're gonna get into AI, uh, but wait a minute. This is a Harvard professor, and you know, hundreds and hundreds of Harvard professors signed a letter backing Ms. Gay, Claudine Gay, even after this testimony, even after the plagiarism accusations, they backed her. Wow. Send your kids to Harvard if, if they could get in. Good place. Uh, and it's not only Harvard. 
It's all of them. Okay, so this is Ryan Enos, a professor at Harvard, and um, she was asked about, or he was asked about Elise Stefanik, who they said claimed credit kind of today for the resignation. I don't think she claimed credit. She was happy about it, but nonetheless, so uh, here's what he had to say on, um, bum, 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 bum. I believe it's CNN. We'll find out in a second. Here's cut J28. I, I think Elise Stefanik should be ashamed of herself. Because I don't think she actually cares about any of these things that she talked about on Capitol Hill. I don't think she cares about anti-Semitism. I don't think she cares about um, the. I don't think she cares about uh, academic freedom. I don't think she cares about any of these things that she pressed on. She cared about winning political points, and I think that uh, political attacks on universities are things that we should all be frightened by, regardless of our politics, whether we're on the left or the right. And I'm, I'm sad for American universities because of that. And I'm sad for Claudine Gay because I think she was a capable leader that was facing an extremely difficult situation. And people like Elise Stefanik were not helping it at all. <laughs> people like Elise, this is a professor at Harvard. People like Elise Stefanik were not helping it? They were not helping her? What should Elise Stefanik have said? Oh, Ms. Gay, you have such a hard job. Oh, Ms. Gay, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. Oh, Ms. Gay, we completely understand your dilemma. Oh, Ms. Gay, we understand that you're very limited in what you could say here today. Oh, Ms. Gay, you're doing a wonderful job. What? Who is this guy? This is a college professor. That's why this country's doomed. That's why the young people in this country support Hamas, support Osama bin Laden to a great extent. If you could wrap your head around that, because you have people like him and others, tons of others, teaching our kids. And then they come out of college, like Harvard and others, and get into law, medicine, teaching, whatever. And now they're doing it to our kids. That's what's happening to this country. And I don't know what the answer is. There's more from this, uh, this clown. Here's a question uh, from um, Brianna Keeler, uh, cut number 29. Professor, let's say even, even if everything that you said is true, potentially true here, when you look at the writings and, I mean, is that something you would have done? in the way you write? Would you, would you do what Claudine Gay would have done and expect to keep your job? Because that is also another element here. You're talking about the allegations of plagiarism? I'm saying you've seen, right? You, you've compared, I'm sure, as you've gone through the writing here to, yeah. and maybe it isn't stealing research, which would be sure. a huge crime in academia, of course, but in terms of writing an essay, this is nothing that you would accept from a college student, for instance. They know not to do this. So uh, that's what I'm asking about. Good question. Brianna Keeler coming through. Uh, you ready for the answer? Here it is, and it is number 30. If, if a college student did that, what I would expect is I would expect a careful and deliberate hearing to understand whether they violated rules. And it, I, I think if I saw that, I'd be concerned and I would bring it up to, at Harvard, for example, to a academic board that would determine whether or not they violated the rules. What happened to Claudine Gay was not that. What happened to Claudine Gay was mob pressure to force her to resign. 
So even if what she did was something that should have led to her termination, we never got to that point. We got to the point where people were yelling at her on social media and subjecting her to attacks that she didn't deserve. And rather than having a careful deliberation, which is what we do at a university, we had her subject to a mob to force her resignation. Ooh, and who made up that mob? Who made up that mob? A bunch of Jews, Professor? This is, could you imagine that? A mob, she was a victim of a mob. A woman who humiliated herself and exposed herself as president of Harvard at that congressional hearing and then had 50 plagiarism uh, uh, accusations against her. She was victim, she was a victim, period, of a mob? <laughs> no, rightfully, a lot of billionaires or millionaires that would contribute lots of money to Harvard said, I'm not doing it anymore. Are you crazy? And if that contributed to it, good. Whatever contributed to it, not violence, because I don't think there was any, whatever contributed to it, good. One down, two down, one to go. But again, that doesn't solve the problem. And Al Sharpton, by the way, Al Sharpton said that the next president of Harvard had better be, was it Al Sharpton? I believe, if I'm wrong, I apologize. Uh, it was either him or Jesse Jackson, but I think it was Al Sharpton, had better be a black woman. That's what they said about uh, Joe Biden's running mate. This isn't out of the ordinary. They told Joe Biden, you better pick a black woman. And he did. Or Osama, Osama. Barack Obama picked the black woman. But we knew it was going to be a black woman. Biden eventually told us, yeah, I got it narrowed down. Then it's going to be a black woman. Wonderful country, the way we run it now, isn't it? Wonderful. Check the boxes. Check the boxes. All right, folks, when we come back from DEI to AI, and AI is probably the bigger threat, I'm sorry to say, uh, we'll be joined by Wayne Lonstein, when we return right here on TNT. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize Daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. 
With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Plug in. Website. TNTradio.live. Check it out. Today's News Talk Radio. It's the coolest. TNT. All right, folks, we are back. And uh, they say that artificial intelligence, a.k.a. AI, um, is going to take off in 2024. I mean, that means so what we've seen so far, uh, you could say about that, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to really start to, 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 to come into its own even more. And with it, of course, comes some benefits and lots and lots and lots of threats as well for abuse of it by evil forces, for evil AI, if you could believe it, that could unilaterally on their own do this, you know, despicable, horrific, horrible things. Um, and, you know, what effect will it have as it will address specifically uh, to uh, our medical system and to the law? John Roberts addressed that the other day. But overall, and speaking in general, I want to welcome in my good buddy. Uh, and uh, you've we've seen him before on, on, on TNT. Uh, heard from him. Wayne Lonstein, Forbes contributor, attorney, and president of VFT Solutions. Wayne, good to see you, my friend. Happy New Year, Steve. Pleasure to be back. Yeah. Yeah, you too. Happy New Year. It's only the second, so we could we could say it. I don't know what the official cutoff is, but maybe AI could could tell us. So let me ask you this. What are we going to see? How much, if AI has uh, developed to this point, and that's 100% so far of what we've seen, or, or, how much more are we going to see? Double that, triple that in this upcoming year, do you believe? How much, how much do we have to look forward to or how much, and or how much do we have to be fearful of? Great questions. I think that anybody who says they know the answer is taking a wild guess. Certainly, I would say that. Uh, I believe that, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, bluster and palaver about AI, and I'm the first one to talk about its dangers, but I wonder if it's not being oversold and overpushed, almost like a pump and dump. Remember the dot-com bubble and yeah. the Y2K virus, and, you know, everything seems to have this. It's the next big, bad, great thing. Uh, it will grow. It is growing. People are using it, but um, it's no different than your search results. I mean, w in some forms, we've had AI going since the dawn of the Internet, certainly with Google. You know, things show up in your search bar. Uh, you put them in there. And next thing you know, you're seeing ads. Uh, this will be a little different. Uh, it will pick up. It will accelerate. It'll be a little bit more intuitive. What they want to do is make it uh, appear to be human, almost like a deep fake. So instead of a human computer interface, they're going to have it. So it appears to be your, not your alter ego, but your ego. And you'll be able to see things and really start to trust it. And that's the dangerous road you go down. Because when you trust anything technologically not made by you, uh, it's a fool's errand. What is trust? Well, yeah, no, no. How do you, how does somebody, how does the layman 
No. And give an example um, when you say not made by a human or not. By, I mean, it, it, how does it infiltrate? How does it how does it insert itself or does someone have to insert it? And, and even if someone does have to insert it, how could it fool people? How could it fool the everyday person and affect the everyday person without them, you know, an idiot, technically speaking, like me? How, how, how could how can it affect them? Because they don't know. Well, I, I think that's a great question, Steve, and I would point you to Lonstein's first law, which is, as you know, if it's online and it's connected, what? Don't believe Don't trust it. Trust it. That's that's yeah. 100%. So you have something that can create deep fakes, right? You know, things that you think are real, but they're not. The more we trust in technology, the more our youth trust in technology, the more they believe it's a natural order of things. That's a big danger, okay? Almost as big a danger uh, as the AI itself is the, uh, we have a generation or generations that think it's normal, that that is the way things happen. So let's just park our critical thinking on the side and follow what the AI says, the deep scams. I mean, it's very, you know, there was somebody who went on Tinder once and created a, a, a ton of, uh, learning modules that would make, uh, all sorts of lies for him, make him more attractive. And this was an AI sort of creation. And he stole uh, $10 million from women he met online. And then, of course, there's malware. Uh, this sort of malware with AI is like a virus. And the, the typical protocol of viruses is we find out a way, we see what the exploit is, and then we def uh, can create a fix for it, right? A patch for our iPhone, for Microsoft, Windows, whatever. But with... Uh, the sort of the worms that come out of AI, it's a self-replicating uh, sort of technology. A while we're trying to fix it, it's working on a, a fix of our fix to break it again, if that makes sense. So it's sort of almost like a death spiral, uh, really, really quite concerning. And it will be automated. That's what's going on with the auto AGI, the uh, general generative intelligence, where... Um, it's going to stop us from relying on manual operations and we're going to just believe it and AI is good and the rest of the world is bad. So it is very invasive as a species of technology, to say the least. Um, and once it starts, uh, it, it depends who, loose, who, who lets it loose on the world. Uh, right. You know, is a government going to let it loose and which government? Uh, right. <laughs> there may be good, there may be bad. Any government has a reason. It, it's got to maintain its control. Private companies are perhaps, perhaps the biggest risk because you use your Google, you use your email. Every action online gives them an opportunity to covertly put in AI and start to develop. You heard about the phones listening uh, just today, uh, You know, listening to everything you do. Well, surprise, we didn't know that, you know, phone apps. So that's all building the AI for Steve Malzberg. And yeah, well, it will be custom yeah. designed to exploit you, not to take care of you. It's no, scary. absolutely. And, 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 you know, not only are you an expert in, in this field and, and the VFT solutions, which we'll talk about uh, briefly at the end, uh, but you're an attorney. And so uh, when Sadly. John Roberts, <laughs> when, when, when John Roberts wrote his year end um, review, if you will, the other day, 
and didn't write about anything involving Trump, but did write about the, the, the dangers of, as he put it, AI dehumanizing the law. Talk about what that means, what it could mean, what it could mean for, I don't know, defendants, lawyers, uh, juries. I mean, what, what, what are we possibly facing? What is he referring to here? Well, let, let's use United States. I know this is a global audience, but by and large, let's say it's a criminal case and cases are adjudicated in the criminal case. Uh, the, the, the state, the government must prove you guilty what? Beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, tell me how an AI will determine what a reasonable doubt is, because it's only working on objective facts. doesn't work on hairs on the back of your neck. What is reasonable? What is doubt? AI doesn't know doubt. But, what, but let me ask you this. Let me, let, let me ask you this. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. What role does AI have, though? In other words, oh, it how could are, play the whole role. But wait a minute. But right now we have right now we have lawyers and a jury right. and a judge. So what's going to change? How, where does AI to explain it to me? Because I'm really where does well, AI all right, enter let's, in? Let's start it now. Right now, lawyers are using it against my better advice to write legal briefs. We saw the case where somebody submitted to a federal court a legal brief created by chat GPT and all of the citations in the case were fake. Okay. All wow. of them. So wow. a fraud wow. was committed on the court. But what Roberts talks about is scary because you have people in the legal community, 99% of whom don't have a sufficient technological background to make the decision. Should we let this beast loose on our legal system? Okay. Because inevitably, if parties are using AI, somebody's going to come up with the brilliant decision. Well, why don't we have it make decisions for us? Why mm. is it? All right. Why? We can't get people to serve on juries. God forbid there's another COVID attack. Well, then we don't have to worry about it. We'll have an AI jury determination. Okay. If you've ever been kicked off of a social media platform, you can't get an appeal. You don't know who you're talking to, who decided what you did wrong and what the laws are. And it can manipulate. So I think Roberts mistakenly, with due respect to him, is opening a very, very dangerous Pandora's box sort of uh, door, which eliminates the very thing that our system in America was made about, which is a jury of your peers. AI right, is right. not a peer. Right. It's so how, what peer. would have to happen? What would have to happen legally? In other words, who would decide? Would, would it be the government? Would it be Congress? Would it be? A, a, I mean, where is that jury of your peers is that in the Constitution? I mean, I'm just. Uh, well, you what tell me what, what. Right. What's a jury of your peers in California as opposed to Nebraska? Every state no, no, would adopt start adopting different so you would have yeah. some states which would be ai based law okay, i can so, see it in california so it's a state, state so it would it would be state by it would be a state law not a not a change to uh to a federal law or the constitution or something like that it would be state by state to a degree but the constitution could be amended too wow. to allow it i don't think it would take a constitutional amendment actually you know there are various the district courts the circuit courts and the supreme court could say you know what in these particular instances we're going to use ai to determine preliminary factors to determine emotion but its mindset is that of whoever it created if it's a liberal justice let's say it's uh justice sonia sotomayor's ai right that's right. going to decide yeah. emotion or a case differently than Absolutely. let's say uh uh samuel Neil gorsuch. 
Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Alito, you know, giving you Ortegan versus Alito. I mean, those yeah. are very different AI, different. which it's yeah. going to be battle of the AI. And then how do you come to uh, how do you wrestle with the decision right now? You know, jurors talk it out. They eliminate things, but there'll be no transparency whatsoever. Nobody will know no. what that deliberation is. No, 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 no. It, you know, it, it, it's it's so scary and such Not a departure from. What do you mean it's not scary at all? Just turn on the movie Demolition Man with, with <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, where you get demerits, right? Oh, three demerits, uh, Mr. Malsberg. You said the wrong thing. And that's how oh things will God. be adjudicated. And they will be done in a way that becomes very reliant upon people becoming compliant. So what's yep, my message? Yep. Time to fight. Time to fight and resist. Because the money in Silicon Valley owns the money in the Congress. They're not- going to buy right in. Nonviolently, of course, when you say fight, you mean politically speaking. I, oh, I, I want to make that. No, I mean I, I fight wanna, every I, day. I, I just want. I just want to make. I just want to make that clear. We're talking to Wayne Lonstein, Forbes contributor, uh, attorney, and president of VFT Solutions. Let's go to healthcare. And you know, a lot of people have have talked I, about. A lot of people have talked about. Hey. You know, you, you don't even have to see a doctor anymore. You know, uh, you, an AI could diagnose you, could tell you when you're going to die, could tell you what's wrong with you that a doctor could never, ever, ever see. You know, oh, that all sounds wonderful. But what is the downside uh, to medicine and for the individual of, of AI? Money. This guy, we've looked at his colonoscopy, and the AI predicts he's not worth investing in anymore. We tell him he's free to go home, but we didn't do. They could program in a calculation. Today you saw something. If you happen to be reading news, it can predict when you're going to die. I don't want to know that. But if an AI is knowing that, guess what they're going to do? Insurance companies are already using it. They're uh, adjusting how many benefits, what benefits. Very dangerous. The best sort of AI, well, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours who's a, 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 a geologist. says. No, oh, that's oh, Dr. Okay. Dr. Siegel. And he says, okay, there okay, are some okay. great parts of it. So it can identify things that you can't see when you're doing, say, uh, an right. endoscopy that the eye wouldn't see and say, you know, that looks like a, a weird crease. Let's take a biopsy there. That's a very good thing. But that doctor is behind the hands running the scope. That's the type of artificial intelligence that is augmenting, which is good as wow. opposed to taking over. But we... That's uh, you and I are talking right now, and the audience is listening. But 50% of the world's population is under 30 years old. They don't view technology as a threat, they view it as a natural occurrence. They are uh, what I would call a digital natives. They grew up with a phone in their hand, Apple, Chromebook, or, or, or Mac, whatever, in their school. So they've never been with a rotary telephone, a dial up. So it's normal. And when it becomes normal, People who are outliers, as they age out, like us, unfortunately, are going to become expendable and uh, curmudgeons that are going to be like, you're, you're not getting it. We'll be the dumb ones. Right. It's, 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 yeah, it, it, it's almost like, uh, and when you talk about AI, seeing something and sending you home and, you know, we're not going to do anything because we know, but we're not going to tell you, you're not worth saving. It, it's kind of an extension of what uh, Barack Obama and, and people, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Emmanuel, not Rahm Emanuel, but his, uh, Ezekiel Emanuel uh, were promoting yeah. back during Obama's terms. And that's, you know, if you reach uh, 80, 80 years old or something and you need quadruple bypass, you know, we're going to give you a pill 
because you're 80 years old and we can't afford to to, to spend that money on you because you're not going to live that long and you're not worth it. So it's that kind of thing. Uh, Especially with $34 trillion in debt today. Yeah. I mean, everything's under great pressure. We're spending money we can't afford. And I don't have to tell you with elderly relatives, uh, I've had my in-laws, my parents, um, elder treatment is not good. It's in the United States, in my mind, unless you're very rich, uh, you know, the calculations, the formulations, which is the AI, if it's a type of, you know, algorithm, it's really determining what you're going to get. And very few people will be able to afford to step outside that model, unless, of course, you're exempt, like with the... uh, Congress getting exemption from uh, the Affordable Care Act. Obamacare. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> hey, give us, Wayne, give us the elevator version of VFT Solutions and where people could find it. Oh, sure. Well, it's on LinkedIn. You can find it there. You can also go to www.vft-solutions.com. Uh, we deal with piracy. We deal with drones. We deal with human trafficking all online. And we're now dealing with a new battles battlefront. Uh, in social media, which is uh, TikTok. It is a, an existential threat channeling through the youth of the world. You see all these protests. TikTok is the main uh, sort of uh, meeting place, and it can disperse these crowds very quickly. Uh, and my quick solution on the elevator pitch, uh, which we do, we've developed systems to get on there and fight again virtually against the narrative that uh from the river to the sea we have to educate people or we're losing israel's losing that battle and it's coming to the rest of the west and east and and i I mentioned before you came on it's not only that look at the uh the young people's admiration since the release of that uh that uh document from osama bin laden uh uh, 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 an an uh, unseemly uh proportion of young gen xers uh or gen z or whatever the heck it is they 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 support osama bin laden i mean you know going back yeah Going back, if they're creating the AI that John Roberts is going to use, what do you think the jurisprudence is going to look like? There you go. Apps that and I told Larry Moe and Curly in court. Yep. <laughs> well, we had we, we had we had the three stooges before the Congress, uh, and, and two of those stooges are gone. The presidents of the universities. Wayne, always great, my friend. Thank you so much. It's an education whenever we speak. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Wayne Lonstein, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, uh, we're at that time of the show where, as you know, we have one final segment left in the hour, and uh, we will come back with that. Steve Malzberg, right here on TNT. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. I didn't think I'd survive. But I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there. Covenant House helped me break the cycle of homelessness in my family. They gave me the love that I needed. Over 2,000 young people will sleep safely in a Covenant House bed tonight. When youth who are experiencing homelessness have a hot meal, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love, they can overcome heartbreaking challenges and have a brighter future. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. I'm a, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. Covenant House really helped me and really helped mold me into the woman I am today. If you or someone you love is asking for help, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. Around here, bushfire is just a part of life. 
We've been through it before. And we'll get through it again. The people here all look out for each other. We're a community that does its bit to plan and prepare, to keep everyone safe. We live with bushfire, so we live bushfire ready. You're listening to The Steve Malsberg Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks, I welcome you back. It's, um, it's, it's frightening. It's really frightening to think in every aspect of, of what we talked about, whether it be AI deciding guilt or innocence of people. Really? And who's programming that AI? <laughs> I mean, what's reasonable doubt to a, to a, to a, a machine, to AI? Um, it, it's bizarre to think about, but stranger things have happened. And medicine, you know, do you want to know? Do you want to know when you're going to die? I mean, do you want to know that? If you could go, take a blood test or go to a doctor and they put you under this AI thing or whatever it is, do you want to know? Do you want to be refused treatment? Because when you take a test, AI knows something and the doctor therefore knows it, but you don't know it. And they, they base their treatment accordingly and don't tell you. And I mean, I mean, the whole thing, it's a, it's like rearranging the world. Now there's good things from AI, but there's very scary possibilities uh, related to AI as well. And then again, an evil government, terrorist groups, you know, uh, uh, evil people t- making use of AI. It's, it's, it's bizarre. It's so frightening, it's bizarre. It really is. Now, yesterday I played for you a clip, uh, three clips of uh, Ryan Seacrest on ABC uh, with a short interview with uh, Joe and Dr. Jill uh, Biden on, uh, on New Year's Eve, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was a softball interview. And um, so on Fox Business, Cheryl Casson uh, played it for uh, Congresswoman uh, Kat Kamak, Republican from Florida, played this clip. So let's go back to yesterday. And this is J16. As you look back and reflect on 2023, what sort of, of memories, highlights stand out for you? Well, one of the big highlights stands out for me is my dad used to have an expression. He'd say, Joey, a job's about a lot more than the paycheck. It's about your dignity. It's about respect. So many people through the Midwest and and in the center of the country, their their factories are shipped overseas the last couple of times out, and and they were losing hope and faith. So we brought a lot of jobs back to the United States. People are in a position to be able to make a living now, and uh, they've created a lot of jobs, over 14 million. And uh, I guess when I'm, I, I just feel good that the American people got up. They've been through a rough time with pandemic, but now we're coming back. They're back. They're back. Okay, so uh, Cheryl Cassoni played that for the congresswoman from Florida, Republican, of course. And here's her reaction to that. This is cut number 27. Happy New Year. And wow, yikes. Just watching that with Ryan Seacrest, it just it's uncomfortable because obviously it is another example of a tone deaf White House 
on so many issues. They have ignored the everyday American people. They have said that the border is secure. The border is not secure. We have historic numbers every single month breaking records of illegals from over 151 different nations coming here. You can't buy a house if you're a millennial because you're, you, you just don't have the funds to do it because inflation has wiped out your savings, your ability to purchase everyday goods and services. If you're on a fixed income, you have it even tougher. Uh, not to mention the fact that we have an opioid crisis that is killing over 100,000 people every single year, a crime wave that has gripped the country. Nothing is better under Joe Biden's America. Heck, even Anderson Cooper is doing shots on live television. And I think that speaks to both CNN's ratings as well as what's going on in America today. <laughs> she had a reference, of course, Anderson Cooper doing shots. Uh, we, we also uh, played that for you uh, yesterday in our first show back after the new year. Uh, the CNN's um, New Year's Eve fiasco. But, uh, well, at the top of every hour, he and Andy Cohn took a shot. And, of course, Anderson Cooper has no business drinking because he can't he can't handle it. And he makes it clear that he doesn't even like it. Uh, but she's so right. She's so right. This country, this this country is in so many ways in such danger, in such danger. We are drifting. We're drifting, 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 falling off a cliff. And it's exactly what Barack Obama and the leftists in this country want to see happen here. Every day, thousands and thousands of illegals are coming into our country every day that's what they want to see and it's happening more restrictions on what you could own when it comes to heating your home cooling your home cooking your food more restrictions bl blowing the leaves off your driveway tell they control our lives control our lives california is now letting illegals get health care health care they're eligible for health insurance health care illegals i mean this country is and again that's what they want that's what they want and if the left ever got 60 senators and controlled the house and controlled the presidency you would see puerto rico and washington dc as the 51st and 52nd state because they'd be democrat states and you get four more senators from those states, mm -hmm. um, you would see the Supreme Court stacked, maybe 15 judges, overwhelmingly Democrat. Uh, you would see election, no more electoral college for president. It would be who gets the highest number of votes. So states like California, New York, which are liberal and blue, would have an inordinate amount of influence on who the president would be. This country, you wouldn't recognize it. It would be more radicalized than we're doing right now. And right now we're out of control. So that's the problem. That's the problem. And ballot box, November, be there or be square, whatever that means. Folks. Jason Oldborn's next. I'm Steve Malsberg. God willing, tomorrow, Stephen Moore, former economic advisor to Donald Trump and FreedomWorks, of course, will be here. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT.